0: Amen. So, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, uh, to the pilgrims of the dispersion, I'll make the one point that they're not permanent dwellers on earth. They're pilgrims traveling, moving through. Their, their final destination is heaven. Um, so, they're pilgrims of the dispersion of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God. And we'll deal with that foreknowledge and election and predestination a little more as we move forward. So the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the spirit, the cleansing, the maturity, the position of having been sanctified. For obedience, and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ upon them. They sprinkling the blood of Christ with the gospel message to the places that they go. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope, born again. You know, he tells Nicodemus, You must be born again, right? So we've been, you know, begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead he's not dead muhammad is dead buddha is dead right all of these other he lives so it's a living hope that we have in his resurrection of jesus christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible undefiled that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you thieves can't break in moth and rust do not corrode, destroy, that is our inheritance, who are kept by the power of God, through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Uh, In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, coupled together with verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Gold is one of the most incorruptible elements that there is. Uh, You can torture gold uh, under heat and chemistry, and all kinds of things. And very often all you do is further refine it. You just make it more and more pure, and more and more valuable. Uh, And yet, our faith is less corruptible than gold. More valuable, more precious. It exceeds gold. You know, you go to Israel, you get in the Dead Sea, they tell you, you want to take all your jewelry off. You want to take your watch off. You want to take nothing is going to resist the corrosion of this. You have a pure gold wedding band on. They're like, don't worry about it. right? Because the purity of gold will withstand all that is there. Our faith exceeds all of these things. Why? Because of what it's in. It's in Christ. It can't be corrupted. You, know, you think about <clears throat> all of the different religions and belief systems and cults of the world they can't even stand up under man's scrutiny just examine it against itself you know take the teachings of buddha versus the teachings of buddha's students 350 years later profoundly corrupt contradictory constantly just they 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 torture one another to oblivion you know they corrode under just the examination of truth and so it is with the teachings of the world not so with jesus the more it is examined the more it is put under test the more that people try to destroy it the stronger the more reassured the more faithful it is shown to be because it is it is God himself in effect, right? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. You, you can't corrode this. You can't erode this. Our faith is so valuable, so precious. The trials, right? Much like what James is saying, there's a gladness, a joy, a rejoicing in Peter's description. To say to us that as these things come upon you, the trial may not be pleasant, but what it produces in refinement, in in work, in accomplishment is beneficial, becomes more valuable in the process. It is great joy that the Lord provides us in these things. The genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to praise honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ <clears throat> revelation um apocalypse right uh, so many people have turned that word uh into meaning terror or fright or you know horror you know Epo, the idea of exposing, you know, you can hear the term we've created of eclipse, you know, to shroud, right? The removal of the shroud. That's apocalypse, to expose, to take away the shroud so that you can see. That's why we refer to it as the revelation. It's the revealing Of God's plan, it's the revealing of all things. It's the revealing of Jesus Christ's kingdom for for the unsaved. They read the same book of Revelation we read, and it is a terror. It is fearful. It is a fright. Not so for us. You know, it's the hopeful expectation of the revealing of Jesus Christ. That's what we are looking forward to in this whole process so you know this this uh, revealing that we have the the tested by fire may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of jesus christ whom having not seen you love now uh, peter is speaking to those of the younger generation right this is probably it's probably 64 a.d There's some debate 64, 65. There are those you're going to run into if you do lengthy research who are way outside the box and try to put this way earlier, way later. But most trustworthy scholars are going to firmly plant this at 64 with a possibility of 65. So, point being, 30 roughly years since Jesus' ministry and now, most of the Christians uh, have died from age or persecution. And there is a younger generation that is believing and following, and they've experienced the power and the glory of Jesus Christ and the teaching of the apostles. And now here's Peter, who's speaking to them in this, and that you know, faith that they're hoping in, some of them, many of them, perhaps most of them have not seen they didn't see jesus they weren't they definitely weren't on the mount with uh, peter james and john seeing you know the transfiguration of jesus christ uh, regardless of whether you've seen right so much of the world says that seeing is believing uh, the scripture very much teaches contradictory to that believing is seeing That you'll begin to understand. Uh, I I don't know how many times. I've relayed to people the truth of God's word. And then once they've gone through enough. Circumstances to where they'll surrender their will. And they, they recognize enough things going on. They haven't even seen some grand revelation yet. They just finally come to the place of okay. I accept enough. To where I'll pray the prayer of salvation with you. They break down the heart and they give in and they pray. And they come back and say, I can't believe it. I, I I surrender my pride, I surrender my life, I pray the prayer, I go home, I read the book, and it's like I've never read it before. It's 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 just like astounding how now I see in believing. They now see that the message is for them. The letter is for them. And they're suddenly hearing God's voice, you know, not audibly, but in their heart and in their mind. They're recognizing the Lord's speech, the Lord's communication, the Lord's work, the Lord's hand in their environment. Though we've not seen Jesus in person, and that's, you know, so very often the accusation of the unbelieving world. When we will let down, The pride-filled resistance. And accept in faith what the Lord has for us. The blinders come off and you see so much more in the moment. Having not seen Jesus, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of Of your souls Um, don't make the mistake of moving that into the far-reaching future Peter is saying that's now you you are receiving now the salvation you think about how redeemed your life is today now you know compare it to what it was yes we're longing forward to being in his presence but my goodness the changes i i just somebody i i do i lose track of that you know you kind of get in where you are presently and you forget who you were without christ and it was last week i think I was standing here talking to somebody and they're they're just going on about i appreciate this church i appreciate what's going on i appreciate the teaching and they're just going on and on and i I just in the beginning flippantly said, "Well, you know, thank goodness we're meeting now, not, you know, 30 years ago." And my mind rushed back to 30 years ago. And and I had to, you know, just stand there in sort of my own head for the next 10 minutes or so. And just a shameful shudder went through, you know, my person about who I was without Christ. And I was just standing right over there so grateful for you know what the Lord is doing in my life and in our midst today. The, the salvation is now. Yes, it's in the future, but make no mistake, it is the here and now. And I think it's a big mistake of a lot of people uh, because they they even in accepting Christ they only look to that finish line, they, and so they basically relegate themselves to sort of staying the same way here and now you know they're not looking for much change they're just they're just looking for the parachute the the fire escape you know How, how do i how do i get into heaven they're just looking for you know somebody needs to like print me the pass you know can i have the you know, COVID passport. Can I have the, you know, the heavenly gate passport to just get by St. Peter when I get there or something? You know, flash my ID, uh, type of thing. You know, how do? I, what do I pay for dues? How do I, you know, how do I get that? Because their 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 mindset is, <clears throat> either they enjoy this life and its sinfulness, or they've made a bunch of attempts at cleaning up their own act and it's they they get the sense like it's impossible it's not coming so so how do i just cash in on that get out of hell free card is there a way to do that without understanding that no the, the salvation is now that this this is the place where this whole process begins eternity begins here in, in the salvation that christ provides for us here the eventual revealing of that certainly is you know, what we're looking forward to. So receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time, you know, what time specifically or what manner of time, the Spirit of Christ who was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the suffering of Christ and the glories that would come. So he he sort of veers over a little bit into the Jewish, the Hebrew discussion. It certainly applies to all of the believers. But for any of the Jews that are taking in this message, he's giving that reassurance of the prophets foresaw this that Christ was going to suffer that salvation was going to come through his shed blood you know don't don't make the mistake he doesn't go a long ways into it but he, he you know he's lending out the idea of don't make the mistake of thinking that Christ was a failure because he was crucified you know the prophets revealed that these things were going to happen that Christ was going to suffer that salvation was going to come through the cross. You know, for you and I, as the world venomously spits at Jesus, mocking him, you know, a lot of times for his humility and his meekness and even his crucifixion. You know, a lot like the apostles and the world that was expecting the Messiah, they they want a victorious king. Really, they don't even know it. What they want is Antichrist. You know. They they want some pride filled self-made heroic you know overlord who crushes all that oppose him and you know demands that everyone worship him. I mean it's a stretch, but you gotta understand how arrogant it is of Anthony Fauci to say I am science. You know, that's crazy. And that's the mentality we're talking about, where if anybody has any other opinion, any other thought, and you just say, all who oppose me are opposed to science. Keep in mind, okay, I'll just point this out. Maybe you've not thought of this in that whole discussion. God is science. God is science. When Moses said, who do I tell the people is sending me? God said, You tell them the I am, said to you, I am what? I am everything. You know, without me nothing is. I am. I am science. I, I am the answer. I am salvation. I am truth. I am your provider. I am your savior. I am. And in that mentality that acts like, don't question me, uh, that's Antichrist, right? In the truest sense, right? Because anti means in replacement of Christ. It doesn't mean opposed to, in opposition to. It means to replace, to take the seat of. So anyway, that's me chasing a, a really faint rabbit trail. But you understand what I'm saying about spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. <coughs> and we want to be very careful to avoid all of it and understand that Christ is our source of salvation. So we don't see him yet believing. We rejoice. Salvation the prophets looked for, <coughs> searched for in what manner of time. The spirit of Christ was in them. And that's, that's a New Testament conver- confirmation, right? You know, Holy Spirit is certainly Acts chapter 2, New Testament frame of mind. But it was the Spirit of Christ in the Old Testament prophets. So when Elisha is saying to Elijah, I want twice the Spirit that's upon you. He's saying, I want twice the Holy Spirit. I want twice the Spirit of Christ. Um, he doesn't know that. That's what he was searching for, longing to understand that what was you know is what was upon him uh, the the spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the suffering of Christ and the glories that would follow suffering of Christ what a brutal crucifixion what a brutal crucifixion so so unspeakably unhuman and then resurrection just just to step out of the grave. You know, I, I love uh, Max Lakato's depiction there in, in the book. He still moves stones. And Lakato raises the point that the stone was not moved so that Jesus could leave the tomb. Jesus was already gone. The stone was rolled out of the way so that the world could see into the tomb to see that it was empty. That that's why the stone was moved out of the way, and Lucado makes the point that he's still moving stones. What's the obstacle in your way? What are the things that are keeping you from seeing and realizing what you need to in order to be resurrected with Christ? You know, what's the obstacle that's keeping you from living this this resurrected life in Christ? Christ will move that, right? It needs to be moved for you and me. Because we're never getting out of that death without his power working in our lives. But Christ's glory, you torture him mercilessly and he just rises up. He stands up in order to claim the victory. To them, it was revealed not to themselves, but to us. They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, seen from heaven things which angels desire to look into. Um, As an artist, uh, lots of artists have done this, but um, I forget the guy's first name. Griffin was his last name. He did a ton of the 70s band posters and album covers a lot of grateful dead stuff um i don't know if you guys remember there was a a whole it was mostly grateful dead but uh he got saved that's what i'm getting to there it was an eyeball little feet wings on it. it was in a ton of stuff that was his and uh so he gave his life to christ part of the jesus movement came into calvary chapel Communicating with Chuck, they ended up... Uh, if you get a chance, you can look it up. Guy's last name is Griffin. Uh, Chuck Smith and this artist produced a an illustrated copy of the Gospel of John. Uh, and, I mean, his artwork's astonishing in the stuff that he did. And uh, there are, like, dozens and dozens of his uh, paintings and paintings for posters uh that have like five posters underneath the one that's on the top he'd get almost done and paint over the whole thing and start again get completely done not be satisfied with it paint over the whole thing again so there are like they're working on removing them and getting and or or using imagery to get through the layers of this of the layer upon layer upon layer of different pieces of artwork that are there. I wonder about the prophets and whether they, in hearing from the Lord, wrote things and doubted it themselves. And, you know, in their lifetime, like rewrote and rewrote. Because and t- there's, you know, you're reading, you're, you're writing about the suffering of the Messiah. And you're hoping and expecting for the glorious Messiah yourself. So do you get partway through that and say, "This can't be right," and you burn it because you think it's somehow blasphemy, but then God can convicts you, and you have to go back and rewrite. I wonder how much of that internal struggle went on with these guys, of trying to, you know, get over their own flesh and only listen to the spirit and only accomplish uh, you know, th- there has to have been a real humanness to their struggles. And, and the things that they went through and the ways that they behave. I mean, you know, look at look at Elijah and, you know, the whole freak out and hiding in the wilderness and wishing for death and, you know, God coming to him and basically saying, like, you know, what are you doing here, right? You know, which I don't know if you've ever recognized that as the Lord comes to him and confronts him. The answer is nothing. <laughs> what are you doing here? Nothing. I am hiding, right? You know, you're supposed to be the prophet of Israel. You're suppo- your answer is always supposed to be obediently ministering, right? You know, as a prophet of God, I am obediently ministering. What are you doing? Hiding, you know? <laughs> right? He opposes some of the most powerful people in world history to their face, but a girl writes him a death threat and he runs off into the wilderness to hide you know she was Jezebel and capable of killing him but i mean you know that's the deal i wonder you know what as they when we're reading this that they didn't know and and they were writing for us i have to wonder if they were not like okay i'll write this out but i'm hiding it you know saying cuz this is this can't be right this truly this message is not from the lord oh no Think of all that is revealed. Think of everything that Isaiah wrote and and the revelation that is just astonishing. Astonishing what they saw, what they knew, what they understood. Praise God for their willingness to, you know, surrender themselves and receive this message for our sake. You know, they, they had to have thought they were off their rocker some of the time. Yeah. Or they were just completely off their rocker and totally believed every word that came off the other of event. You know, so just, oh, God's speaking to me. Well, I better write that down. Incredible life, seriously, that these people have done. And within all of that, the angels desire to look into this. Look, if the angels travel back and forth between the presence of the Lord and us, right? Taking the need laying it before the lord bringing the answer putting it in our atmosphere ministering the gospel to us if they're functioning in this way and they desire to look in in particular to the writings of the prophets to have greater understanding of the things that are transpiring how much more should we The ones who are the actual focus of these things. The ones who are most affected by these things, right? Their eternity is already sealed. Done. Completed. We were still on the ride. needs to be a thing that we uh, place great uh, importance upon. And in particular you've heard me enough that you probably already if you're still here you still you must partly agree with me prophecy is so important you know as uh <clears throat> very specifically i uh, they've worked it out i think it's uh, 23.6% of the bible is prophecy okay you know this is God's message. It takes us from here to eternity. Yeah. You remember, You guys remember the days of printing off like Google Maps? Printing them off, remember that? <laughs> remember how inaccurate they were? Right? They were like 40% accurate. You know, they get you like more than halfway to where you wanted to go and then they're all kaflooey. You know, the directions were Wrong. MapQuest. Remember MapQuest, right? Still there. It's just like we're all using our phones. Literally terribly inaccurate. You, know, you, you would not want to trust them wholeheartedly. You definitely want to have your map with you at the same time. Don't just take that printout and trust that it's right. You, know, you never know why. But you guys... <coughs> Chick-fil-A, Christian-owned company, right? guys I, do I have the privilege to just follow Rabbit Trails? Good. So um, uh, Google Maps, new, new Chick-fil-A in Portland, Maine. I don't know if you're aware of that, right? Yeah. So uh, Google Maps directs you to a dead-end road outside of town. If you follow Google Maps to the the Chick-fil-A uh, in Portland, Maine, uh, you're going to be miles from it on a dead-end road. But they didn't mean to do that. You know, I think Google should stop being evil. But anyway, Um, it was just trying to answer me as I said that literally. So way off base. Back to the study. Um, So here, the angels desire to look into it. Surely we need to look into it. 23.6% of the the Bible prophecy. Uh, I mean, how ridiculous would it be? to just go through your Bible and cut out 23.6% of it, throw it away. And yet pastors stand in the pulpit and teach their congregations. We should not study prophecy. You know, it'll turn you into one of those prophecy nuts. You'll get all engaged in these conspiracy theories. The next thing you know, you'll be wearing a sandwich board, marching up and down the street saying the world is coming to an end. And you know, guess what? The world's coming to an end. You know what I'm saying? It's time to pay attention. It's time to spread that message maybe you don't need to be a goon and wear a sandwich board but you definitely need to share it with the world around you if that is if the angels desired to look into it then certainly we need to look into it and it needs to be in our mouth and extending into people's ears that they would hear it and respond therefore gird up the loins of your mind now <sighs> the, the next statement be sober literally don't drink don't be intoxicated okay but uh, specifically, gird of the loins. Um, they, uh, so almost everybody wore longer robes at the time, usually right down to the ground. Um, working class sometimes had a slightly shorter one, but it was usually almost to the ground or to the ground. And um, when they worked or when you needed to run, uh, they were constructed in such a way that you would reach down and grab the back side of the flap and pull that up uh, between your knees very tightly and then you would take the other side and fold them around and tie them behind you and tuck that all in and you suddenly were in like knickers or you know today board shorts you know like knee length and you could run It was very tight and it would hold very well. You could run. You could definitely work. Uh, So girding up your loins is the idea of formalities are over. A certain degree of decency because they wore it to hide their legs, to expose your flesh at all. Even your ankles was to some degree unacceptable. So uh, time for decency over. Time to gird up time to tie up strengthen yourself and be ready for action it's not time to be strolling around in a leisurely way in flowing robes yeah remember the the 90s man the huge jeans I was I was a youth pastor and the jeans were like way bigger than bell bottoms man you know you had a pocket, you could put like your whole lunchbox in, in the back As you know, it was pretty crazy. You know, I was, I was a youth pastor, so I was mocking all of that, you know, 45 pounds of chain on the, anyway. So, you know, the, the, they, they would run, the young guys, we'd be outside trying to play football and they're running like girls with their, they're holding up, you know, their pants so that they don't trip over themselves. You know, and I would often say to them, gird up your loins. You know what I'm saying? There there are things in this life that, yes, okay, you know, common decency and composure and dignity and fine, but there's a time where you need to just be ready to abandon that, gird up your loins and move to action. You know, I, I don't hesitate. I see an opportunity to talk about Jesus Christ openly in public, and uh, a thing I criticize, and I, I'm, um, you know, Jesus said, "Don't stand on the sh- street corners and shout your prayers so that everybody can look at you, and you know, take notice of how holy you are." Right, doing it to be seen of men, but I discourage what I refer to as the Jesus voice. Okay, I don't, I don't like that, and and so it looks like this. You're talking to your friend about the weather. You're talking to him about his car. You're talking to him about whatever. But when Jesus comes up, you lower your voice and you have a different Jesus voice so that you're not, you know, people around you aren't aware that you're talking about Jesus as much as... And then you can talk about the dog and the, you know. I don't like the Jesus voice. It bothers me. Because if I'm going to stand in Hannaford at the checkout and I'm going to talk to you about, you know... COVID and the craziness and, you know, whatever. And then when I get to Jesus, I've got to lower my voice. I'm not going to be ashamed of Christ. We're going to stand right here. And we're going to talk about the word of God. And I'm going to even mention scripture references. And I'm going to encourage you to come to church. And if they've got a problem with that, well, they can just melt in their own boots because I'm not going to. It needs to be that maybe the guy standing behind us catches some of that And goes home and just, you know, searches on Google for something about Jesus and and starts looking into the Bible himself for the first time. I'm not going to crawl up on top of the conveyor belt and start shouting, okay, about, but I'm not going to lower my tone and my pitch and my volume in order to talk about Jesus. The world needs to experience true Christians just standing right up and declaring the truth to the world, uh, and, I, and honestly, once they've rolled into that, I don't back off, you know, I'll just keep right on going uh, with it, even though you can tell they're just begging you to stop, I'm just, uh, you took his name in vain, so, uh, you know, you brought him up, since you brought him up, let's talk about him, you know what I'm saying, and we'll just go, we'll do that a bunch of times, so gird up your loin the loins of your mind, now, <clears throat> this is the second, you know, two, two portions one, gird up be ready be ready for action the the loins of your mind you can control your thoughts there is a mentality in the world and there's a mentality that has come into the church like i just couldn't control it no you could and you should have it's the fact that you did not then you resulted in the train wreck That, oh, I just started thinking, next thing you know, I'm off doing whatever. No. No. You need to get to the place where that pops into your mind and you seize control of it and you do not allow it to continue. You bring it to an end. Well, I tried and it just gets so out of control. Really? Then I bet you stayed alone in the same place you were when it began girding up your loins for action is the idea of running and moving you know sometimes it's like you got to literally physically shake your head and i'm not going to think of it. and if it comes back in like i got to get up out of this chair and i got to go do you know what i there there's a bunch of stuff in the refrigerator that needs to be thrown away right now you know what I'm saying just, you know it could just be the cottage cheese that you need to go get your mind on something else you need to go do the thing Well, i was just laying in bed and my mind started then you needed to get up out of bed and you needed to go do and open the book up and start reading and start hearing what the holy spirit has to say so much of what is going on in the world and in the church is such a weak spineless thing there's no fight to it at all It's just, oh, it hit me, and it overwhelmed me, and there was nothing I could do. I just caved. Uh, No, you cooperated. No, you you cooperated with it. You gave place to it. Paul said, right, in this issue of warfare, girding up the mind, the the militaristic action that we're being called to, he says, right, weapons of our warfare, not of the earth. They're not fleshly. They're not carnal. But they are mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. Hey, not just hand-to-hand combat. You can go destroy a fortress with the weapons God has given you. Well, a lot of Christians don't even consider that. You know what I'm saying? I I couldn't even thumb wrestle. (laughs) It was so powerful. According to the Lord, your weapons are so powerful and huge, you could destroy a fortress with it. It's you know it's the fact that you, you you know you're looking at it like some childish measly game. And w- what's the end of that? Fast forward through the verses, right? Taking into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The battle is for the mind. It's for the mind. These things assault me all the time. I jump right up, shut the television off people will be like, hey, we're not watching any more of that. Well, it wasn't bothering me. Well, it was destroying me. I mean, praise God. Maybe you're that strong. That's wonderful that it wasn't wreaking havoc on your mind. Forgive me for being so weak. I can't sit here and listen to this. I can't put up with that. I can't endure this. Gird up your loins you know it's it's time for action You've got to move to control the mind be sober it is both concepts it's be serious right and, and and let's be clear god's not stuffy he made the platypus okay he's got an incredible sense of humor it's just, The stuff it's just crazy so some of the th- monkeys it just I mean that is an entertaining creature when they're not flinging poop at you. But I mean they're they are funny, funny creatures. Imitators. Have you seen uh, online? There's a series of things that have been filmed uh, where they do magic for monkeys, and the monkeys lose their mind. Make the thing disappear in front of him, and they're like slapping the glass and like laughing and the monkey's he he is thoroughly entertained by what he just experienced has no idea how you made the card disappear. He's just blown away by it the the animal God has a tremendous sense of humor it's all throughout creation, right it's in us we're created in God's image. You should not think of God calling us to be sober as like we need to just live under a dark cloud of fear and trepidation and constantly laugh, enjoy yourself, enjoy your family, enjoy your friends, right? But be ready to be serious about the serious things. There is stuff out there that you can't have any lightheartedness about. You have to be serious about the way our children are being destroyed by the government school systems right we we have to be serious about the militant homosexual agenda in our culture you have to be very serious about the right to life for the unborn you have to be serious about the drug epidemic in our nation you have to be serious about physically protecting your love, yourself, your loved ones, and your neighbors from the insane crime level that's going on around us. There are things to be sober about. And with that, it is the added level of don't be intoxicated. Do not be intoxicated. Listen, Christians, you need to spend some serious time discovering what the Lord says in the scripture about not drinking at all, not drinking at all. I know a lot of Christians find, you know, liberty, freedom to do those things. I can't tell you the scripture forbids it, right? Drinking alcohol. What I can tell you is the scripture speaks very negatively of being intoxicated in any way even remotely intoxicated. Jesus drank wine. Okay, let's talk about the wine Jesus drank. Right? It was table wine. Because the water of the day was very polluted. And so, they mixed wine 50-50. And now this is just fermented wine. This is not distilled wine that's been through a process to refine the alcohol level. This is Put the grape juice in a jug, and three months later, drink the grape juice, right? It's just fermented. It wasn't usually overly pleasant, okay? At its peak, 6 8% alcohol, really low, right? And then they mixed it 50-50. They would take water and mix it half water, half wine. And the purpose was they didn't want to get people drunk. They wanted the alcohol to kill the bacteria content in the water. Do you remember Paul telling Timothy, no longer drink only water? Okay, that must mean Timothy had an opposition to drinking any alcohol. And he was strictly Only drinking water. And Paul has to tell him it's okay, whether you've studied the background or not, he's telling him it's okay for you to drink the 50-50 table wine because you're making yourself sick by drinking the bacteria-laden water. You're often infirmities. I mean, let's be blunt. Uh, It's crass. It's overthought. Forgive me. Timothy's got diarrhea all the time because he will only drink the water. He will not drink the, the 50-50 mix. Remember, they accuse the apostles of being drunk. Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes, these men are drunk. And then, and then Peter responds by saying, what? It's, it's not even possible. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Okay, now, you don't have to show hands, but... I know, I know some hands would go up in the room if I've said to you, "Have any of us ever been drunk before nine a.m?" Okay? <clears throat> it is possible to get drunk before nine a.m. Okay? It's really hard to get drunk on table wine. that's That's water mixed 50, 50 with low-grade wine. It's re- I mean, you're having to put gallons to you quick. You know, you're probably gonna feel sick from that just that much fluid in your body before you actually feel tipsy from the alcohol. Sobriety. Over and over again, the scripture calls us to sobriety, sobriety. And there's a movement within the church to water down that message. Right? And and convince people it's okay. Okay. <clears throat> How many of you guys have heard? I'll take show of hands on this one that a little wine, medically right a little wine is good red wine is good okay just see that see the, the largest study ever completed by the medical community in alcohol consumption just two years ago no wine consumption is good no alcohol consumption is good for the human body under any conditions that's what the medical community is now saying. so controversial there's a massive upheaval Especially in the cardiac community, because they've preached for so long that one glass of red wine is good for your heart. It's terrible for your heart. Well, how, why would they say that for so long? You've got to ask that question about the medical community, right? Don't eat butter; it'll kill you. You got to eat mar No, don't eat margarine. That margarine will kill you. You know what I'm saying? It's, but but take aspirin. That'll that. No, don't take aspirin. Aspirin will kill you. Take Tylenol. No, don't take Tylenol. No, take Advil. No, don't take Advil. You know, I mean, are are you listening to these guys? I mean, there's a reason that it's labeled practicing medicine, right? Because they just, they can't ever get it right. They're constantly guessing, constantly new information. And what, what you really find is the end was who was making the most money based upon that most common opinion last. Right, it really doesn't have anything to do with truth in studies. It has to do with, you know, the red wine community is like, hey, if you tell people that red wine is only bad, and they go, oh, couldn't you just say like one glass? Couldn't you say like just lift it up a little bit so that no, alcohol's bad, really bad for the human frame. You know, do you, you guys know the reason that you feel a little tipsy? Do you understand that? Do You understand why? Because it is so lethal to the human body that your body's dumping all of its resources into getting rid of it the minute you introduce alcohol into your body your body freaks out because it's a poison and it's doing everything it can to break it down and get it out that that's why we have that tipsy sensation upon the consumption of any amount of it you, you understand that alcohol is Far more, addic- far more addictive than heroin and far more destructive to the human frame than heroin. Alcohol is. You say, that can't be. It's legal. Once again, you're back to trusting the government's opinion when you think like that because they're making boatloads of cash off of this and that's all that it's about. You do do your own research. Read the studies that have been done by our own law enforcement agencies, our own medical communities about the cost of alcohol, the deaths due to alcohol, the, the car accidents, the, the, the absolute sheer destruction, homes, divorces. How about this? It was just like five years ago. It might have been longer ago than that. I think it was just like five years ago. of the domestic violence cases in the state of Maine involved Allen's Coffee Brandy. Because we make Allen's Coffee Brandy here in Maine, and we mix it with milk, and everybody stays up all night drinking it. Coffee, brandy. Right? Blasted out of my mind and wide awake. Of course we're going to end up fighting, right? I mean, what do you you expect, right? The sedation level of this thing should have knocked you out two and a half hours ago. But the coffee's got you absolutely wired. 30% of the domestic violence cases in the state of Maine due to, Allen, due to, I shouldn't say that, right? I'll get sued. (laughs) Alan's Coffee Brandy is involved in 30% of the, the domestic violence cases in the state of Maine sobriety, taking captive every thought, fighting for your mind, fighting for the clarity that Christ has called us to, to absorb these messages and then to deliver these messages to the world and the people around us that need to hear them. We really need, and the world really needs to experience this From us, gird up your minds, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The grace, right? Not, do do not, you're never going to rest as long as you've got that mentality like, I've got to earn it. I've got to accomplish it. I've got to do it myself. As long as you you are resting in the idea of Christ has completed all of this. You know, the call to action that I just gave you, you know, the, the fervent message I just delivered, that's the result, right? God's grace works in our lives, and therefore, since it does, I must go do these things. I must live this way because of what has been done. It isn't so that I can earn it, so that I can receive it, so that somehow I'll be acceptable to him. It's because I am acceptable to him. It's astonishing that I'm acceptable to him. It's so ridiculous that he just has overlooked so much in every one of our lives and just embraced us and taken us and called us into ourselves. You know I always you know relate this down to my kids. And my grandkids. Just, man, they can get messy. And just be, you know, when I was a young dad, you know, I wasn't used to, you pick up child and, you know, as soon as you put child down, like, your shirt is all, like, gross right here. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Just, like, you didn't even realize they had all that gunk on them and now you've got it. You know, and, and at first it was like, oh, I got to change my shirt. You know, and it, and it it pretty quickly became, no, that's a badge of honor. I'm a father. And there's a child. Yeah, I'm going to try to clean this off as best I can. But this is evidence that I'm a parent. You know what I'm saying? I love my kid. And, and and you know, they're a mess. And they they smell bad sometimes. And they just, you know what I'm saying? And, man, they're awesome. Just then, that's how the Lord looks at you. In your filth, He doesn't say, "Ah, just like keep your distance." <laughs> like I just let me go get the garden hose. I'll be right back, and I'll say, "The, the cross was Him fully embracing our filth, taking it on, he, he didn't enjoy it, right? He wasn't happy about the the fact that he he got covered with our junk, but he he didn't shun it." It was the badge of ownership as he took upon himself the grace. You've got to be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. Listen that shoots down oh my goodness the the stuff you guys that the church is compromising on i i just i'm going to i'm going to be specific it's it's terrible that i have to be but you know you ever hear your children your loved ones use the term technical virgin jump into that conversation ask them what they mean what they're talking about right Forgive me, I'm going to use very specific terms. That they, they are they they are, it has moved into the church that you know, these young people if all they've done is had oral sex, well, then they're still a virgin. That it's not actually a sin because they they haven't or now they're also doing this thing like <clears throat> well if yeah, they're having sex, but it's only with one person so so right now, technically, they're married to that one person. And if, and if you know, if that relationship comes to an end, and there's a, it's they're not sleeping around. They're not like they're not sleeping with two, three, four, multiple partners. So so they're emulating the image of marriage because they only have one partner at a time. This is this is the message that is permeating the youth that are around us. And what's crazy is is the church is accepting that and promoting that. And what's even more absurd is there are literally authors and writers and journalists within Christian publications that are also promoting these concepts. The the Lord here, you guys, is calling us, calling us to depart from the behaviors that were the sinful past. We've been freed from them. We ha- How many times have you heard me say, we haven't been freed by Christ to go do them. We've been freed from them. There is a message that has been driven into the church by the most demonic of influences that is teaching the church and teaching the youth of the churches that, no, that's just the old stuffy way. Of looking at things, you got to be more progressive, you know, about this stuff. You know, people, literally, uh, very popular authors, you know, today, uh, you know, they they won't come in and say, it, but they'll use the terms that the youth already you know, technical virgin and things of these nature, uh, so that they go, oh, see, this is the new wave, this is the new thing, and they've got the mentality like, oh, at last, I can be a Christian because this is acceptable. I've stayed outside it because, you know, I wanted to go this direction with my behaviors, but now that I can, and so, you know, they step inside the church thinking this is acceptable. Meanwhile, the church is just dying of the cancer that's been brought in. It needs to be that we're encouraging people and pulling people and confronting people in these settings as lovingly as possible, which may be Red faced and veins standing out of your neck, and you know, saying, I I don't know how it's going to go down. If your friend is about to light themselves on fire, you may tackle them and bludgeon them and do terrible things, and later explain that was all because I love you, because I did not want to see you do that to yourself. And and that is you know a, a pretty straightforward because hellfire is on the other end of this. We need to help people be delivered, obedient children, not conforming ourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance. Notice, right? Sometimes Christians have never noticed that the root word of ignorance is ignore. Ignore, Aunt. <laughs> ignorance you know ignorance is oh I didn't it's not I didn't notice that (laughs) that's not what ignore is ignore is yeah I saw that and I didn't want to pay any attention to it that's what ignore is mothers have an incredible skill of ignoring children now, in a good way, right, moms? They'll stand right at your feet. You're busy doing your thing, and they're going, Mom, 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 Mom. You know, they don't hear. You're, you're like 10 feet away going, answer that child. You know, it's, it's driving us crazy. And you're like, oh, I didn't even know. I didn't even notice it. Right? Why? Because if she paid attention to that all day, nothing would get done. So she's learned how to just continue on, how to ignore. That's that's a good skill in that setting. When God's warnings have come and come and come and come and we've developed a method by which we can just ignore it's very very dangerous. And the church doing that, you know, going back to the former lusts and the sinfulness as you were in your ignorance, okay, will give the world a pass in the idea of you didn't know any better. But you were ignoring what was plainly understood. Tell me, right? You're watching this person live in sexual sin and look at the terrible outcome. The heartbreak, right? The unwanted pregnancy, the sexually transmitted disease, the divorce. You saw that happening and what? You're going to go participate in it and the same bad things aren't going to happen to you? Come on. You're ignoring the evidence in your ignorance okay the lord's being gracious here but it is ignoring at its root okay that was before we knew christ now that we know christ you don't get to ignore and we can't allow other people to ignore love will help us pull them from that to steer them away from that but as he who called you is holy you also be holy in your conduct. It's the idea of, um, since God is holy, you should be holy. It's like a spiritually acquired genetic trait, right? You know, my, uh, My grandson, uh, Raya. Some of you have met Raya. You put Raya's photograph up next to my brother Andrew's photograph. And you're like, ah, genetics. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Andrew Cass, Raya Rodia, right? You take Benjamin and at first glance, if you saw Andrew and then you saw Raya, it, it it wouldn't strike you how much they resemble one another. If you gave Benjamin red hair, you'd be like, oh, oh, there it is. Right? I come in tonight and he's got that little beanie hat on. So all of his hair is covered up and just his face is sticking out. My grandson, Raya, right there. Benjamin, Raya, Andrew Cass. Ralph Bolster, my grandfather. You look at the pictures, it's like genetically, this produces this, produces this, produces this. God is holy. You should be holy. Have you been born again? His genetics should be in your spiritual genetics. It isn't a matter of God is holy, so you better square up and behave like someone who's holy. It's a matter of God's holy. Why aren't you holy? You say you're a child of God. What's going on? Why this? Why this junk in your life? God is holy. You're supposed to be holy. You're a child of God. You genetically descended from this. Why is it that you, in fact, resemble his enemy? Why do you behave like the devil? (laughs) That should not be, right? We used to behave like the devil. And we've been redeemed from that, right? Jesus says of those that are trying to kill him, uh, lies are your native tongue. Because you are descended from your father, the devil. And his native tongue is lies. And he was a murderer from the beginning, and that's why you're a murderer. That's why you're planning to kill me. Because your father is the devil. Uh, God is holy. Therefore, You should be holy. Do not take that as, so get your act together and be holy. It needs to be the genetic test of what is wrong here? (laughs) I'm supposed to be holy. Why isn't this going on in my life? Am I even born again? It needs to be the thing that shocks you to your knees and causes you to call out to God and say, refine me in this area. Burn this out of my life. You know, this is not of you. This is of my flesh. Because right? we don't need any devils. We don't need the influence of Satan in our lives. We're wicked enough all on our own. Our fleshly nature is, right? I mean, when, when Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. I'm not so convinced that the devil was speaking through Peter as much as it was that what he was saying was devilish. Just by his nature. Pride filled, I'm going to seize control of the Messiah and I'm going to tell him what to do. Jesus had just said, I'm going to go and suffer and be crucified so that, I'm paraphrasing, I can grant eternal life to everyone. And Peter says, Enough of that. I will not allow that to happen. You know, okay, devil, you can be quiet now. It's time for you to stop talking of our own sinful nature. We are to be holy, conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, right? The pilgrims, uh, this is just your time here on earth, and it's going to come to us While you're here, conduct yourselves in, in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. You've been redeemed, and it wasn't some cheap pile of cash that redeemed you. It was not only an individual's blood. It was the blood of your creator himself, the one who created all life, became a man and sacrificed himself. Imagine, imagine if an innocent child died and you received a transplant that gave you life, not even just some crusty old dude who, you know, keeled over and left you his liver, but an innocent little child, it just, it, I mean, the preciousness of that life being granted to you, you would value it. You'd value it very highly if you knew, you know, a little girl or a little boy had lost their life and granted you life. Christ was so much purer than that. Christ's life was so much more precious than any little human being that we consider. Oh, there's an innocent. Christ was the one and true only innocent. And so all of the behavior needs to be resultant. Because of that sacrificed life, we need to honor that life and live as his born-again children.